resurrection morning when all the dead in Christ shall rise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal soul in weakness, raised in power, ready to live in paradise. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the redeemed of God. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of my Savior, ready to live and glory. I'll be glad. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life eternal. Free from every imperfection, youthful and happy I shall be. Lost in victory. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Oh, yes. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory. With the redeemed, never sad. sad. There'll be no more sorrow. No, no more pain. pain. There'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness in of his likeness. Ready to live. I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Trump of God shall sound. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Eternal grains, all bursting saints are shouting heavenly beauty all around. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I'll have a new home. Glory, glory, with the reading of God to stand. No more pain, there'll be no more strife. Yes, raising the likeness of this likeness. Ready to live, I'll be glad. I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Kessler, and welcome to the Passion for Christ show. So glad to have you, friend. Hey, listen, I'm part of the greatest movement ever, a follower of Jesus Christ, because you see in him, I find forgiveness, peace, joy, happiness, and I am blessed beyond measure more than I could ever deserve. My goal here is very simple. That is to encourage you along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. Upcoming in our study segment, we're going to be talking about how to fight that spiritual war in and around you with our special guest, Michael McCorkle. So stay tuned for that, folks. But first, a few things along the way. Headline News. Get this. Get this. A former Nike employee who identifies as transmasculine filed a $1.1 million lawsuit against a company last week claiming gender identity-based harassment due to the use of wrong pronouns. That's right, folks. Wrong pronouns. 
Jazz Lyles was a computer engineer at Nike from May 2017 to September 2018 and was often misgendered by employees. Lyles prefers the pronouns they, them, and their. When someone refuses to acknowledge a person's gender identity or insists on referring to them by a gender to which they do not identify, that's called misgendering, this causes real and significant harm. One co-worker refused to use to preferred pronouns due to religious reasons. Another worker allegedly said, I know I'm not supposed to call you she-male. Still, another worker did not want to even work with Lyles. Nike in a statement said the company is committed to a culture of diversity, inclusion, and respect where everyone can succeed and realize their full potential. There you go, folks. Got to use those pronouns. Transgender worker sues Nike for $1.1 million over use of wrong pronouns. There you go, folks. <laughs> Woo! Talking about the use of wrong pronouns. Listen to this. You ever remember watching Charlie Brown Christmas? Well, more than 50 years after it first aired, a Charlie Brown Christmas remains one of the most beloved TV specials of the season among people of faith, primarily due to Linus Bode's recitation of the gospel message. But that famous scene was added to the special over the objections of the producer and the animator who believed that Peanuts creator Charles M. Schultz had crossed a line in wanting Linus to recite the Bible. The special first aired in 1965. Producer Lee Mandelson recounted the controversy. I said, Sparky, this is religion. It just doesn't go in a cartoon. He looked at me very coldly and said, Bill, if we don't do it, who will? We can do it. He was right. That's been the most commented on little sequences of that show, Linus telling the true meaning of Christmas. But every time I see that scene, I wince. It's such a poor animation, such bad drawing. A Charlie Brown Christmas follows Charlie Brown as he fights the holidays, commercialism, and searches for the true meaning of Christmas. In the show's final moments, Linus takes center stage at a play practice and recites Luke 2, 8 through 14. There you go, folks, how Charles Schultz fought for Jesus in a Charlie Brown Christmas. There you go. That's what Christmas is all about. Charlie Brown, Linus proclaims at the end. Hmm. Mm, mm, mm. Amen, folks. Well, now get this. Get this. A routine traffic stop ended in prayer earlier this week when State Trooper Ross Bates heard that the couple had experienced a death in the family. What made this so special is that he was white and they were African American. 
Linnell James, a middle school teacher, was driving from Conroe, Texas to Dallas with her husband after Lamar's brother died unexpectedly. As they drove through a small town, Bates pulled them over for a non-speeding violation. He asked where they were heading, and she told him about her brother-in-law's passing. He said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Do you know where he is? She explained. She also said, my husband answered, yes, at the morgue, to which Bates responded, no, he is now in his heavenly home. His reaction caught the couple off guard. When he returned with a warning, the state trooper asked if he could pray with Linnell and Lamar and then removed his hat and held their hands while he prayed. I have never had this happen before, but it was everything that we needed in that moment. Linnell said, Thank you so much, Trooper Bates, for praying with us. There's just so much in the news with the negativity and the police killings and racial tension. It's a lot. There you go, folks. What a powerful moment. State trooper prays with grieving family during traffic stop. Amen, folks. Amen. Prayer, powerful, meaningful, impactful. Don't ever forget that just a prayer can make a difference in somebody's life. And that's our headline news for this broadcast. And now, this day in church history. Krishna, you have left all the customs of your ancestors. What is the reason? Krishna Pal replied, I tried the Hindu worship, but got no good. By his own testimony, it performed all the Hinduism's required work, such as worshiping idols, bathing in the Ganges, licking the dust off his guru's feet, visiting holy places, giving property to priests, repeating the name of his guardian deity, meditating and singing Hindu verses. None of this had relieved his sins. After a while, I heard of Christ, that he was incarnate, labored much, and at last laid down his life for sinners. I thought, what love is this? And here I made my resting place. The story behind Paul's faith began when he heard the gospel proclaimed first in the street and then from Moravian missionaries from whom he did carpentry work. Injuring an arm, he went to the Baptist mission in Calcutta to have it treated. The doctor set the dislocated bone, told Paul of a far more serious condition, sin. Paul wept and believed. A month later on this day, December 28, 1800, Baptist missionary William Carey baptized him in the Ganges. The ceremony was conducted in the Bengali language before curious onlookers. Carey advised the crowd that the baptism was not affected because the river was considered sacred, but because Christ took away sins. Carey and his associates had labored seven years for such a conversion. William Ward, one of them, wrote in his journal, Blessed day, 
Afterward, Pile, a Brahmin, gave up his caste to eat with the missionaries. Immediately, he suffered persecution for throwing off his traditional rank. Afterward, he would often be accosted on the topic, Brother, you speak good words and have much wisdom, but why have you thrown away your caste? And he would reply, The man who keeps his caste cannot obtain salvation. Men who have their caste are very proud, and he who is proud cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Burdened for souls, he soon began to preach. He poured himself into the gospel work, preaching from one edge of India to another. During five years, he was assigned to work in Calcutta. He preached on an average 12 or 14 times every week. He built a church there out of his own funds. He also wrote several hymns, including this one. O thou, my soul, forget no more the friend who all thy misery bore. Let every idol be forgot, but O my soul, forget him not. Renounce thy works and ways with grief. And fly to this most sure relief. Nor him forget who left his throne. And for thy life gave up his own. That's this day in church history. And now we have named that Bible character. Here is your clue. I am the Bible book that says every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. What book am I? Here's your clue one more time. I am the Bible book that says every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. What book am I? We'll reveal the answer to this tantalizing clue following our study segment. So stay tuned, friend, for that reveal in the final segment of Name That Bible Character. And now for our study, we have a special guest who's going to be talking about how to fight the spiritual warfare in and around you. We have a special guest, Brother Michael McCorkle. Michael, good to have you on the show. How are you, sir? I'm doing just wonderful, Bruce. Thank you so much for inviting me to join you. Well, Michael, this is a very serious subject. The subject we're talking about today is spiritual warfare and I was reading the passage in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces. Michael, every day there seems to be a new challenge. What do we need to know about this spiritual warfare? Well, Bruce, when you talk about spiritual warfare, obviously uh, Ephesians chapter 6 tempts the people's minds quickly if they're familiar with Scripture. You know, a lot of people, when you talk about it, they start conjuring up demons and angels battling it out in the spiritual realm, or some kind of demon possession and exorcisms. And, and really, most of the time the Bible talks about spiritual warfare. It's not talking about this warfare that goes on in a realm that we can't see and we can't interact with directly. There wouldn't be a lot of value in talking to us about stuff that we have no real input on. Right. Most of the time, 
when Scripture talks about spiritual warfare, he's talking about this battle that we wrestle within ourselves against sin and temptation. Sort of like what um, Paul is wrestling with in uh, Romans chapter 7. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, you know, Romans 7 is the classic text on this where Paul explains his life and he says, you know, I do things that I don't want to do as a follower of Christ and, and things that I really want to do as a follower of Christ end up not doing. And he said it's such that, he said, I find a law that when I want to do good, evil is present with me to the point that he ends that section by saying, oh, wretched man that I am. I mean, the, the reality of my life mirrors that exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Bruce, you and I have talked about this many times, that our struggle in life is against temptation. It's against weakness of the flesh here in this world in a very real way. Uh, I know you counsel with people often who have these battles and fight these wars. Tell us a little bit about some of these real-life struggles that, that people are facing, these spiritual battles that we're talking about. Right. Well, yeah, we're talking about struggle against any kind of sinful desire or sinful direction we have in our lives. You know, back in Ephesians chapter 6, he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, I think one of our biggest challenges is that we get all caught up in our battles here in this world against flesh and blood about our First Amendment rights to speak about Christmas or our right to bear arms. And he's saying that our weapons and our warfare doesn't have anything to do with a concealed carry permit. It doesn't have anything to do with what political party is in power in the United States or anywhere else in the world. It's a battle against unrighteousness and wickedness in our lives. And the reason Paul's passage there in Romans 7 is so gripping is that every one of us has had that exact experience. We want to do what's good and we don't do it. And we want to not do evil and yet it ends up being a part of our lives. Well, I tell you what, uh, a lot of people are getting discouraged. And I know you've seen this in your counseling. Yes. And I think one of the reasons we get discouraged, well, there are many reasons. One of the things that happens is exactly what you just brought up. When people get into a uh, sand pit, so to speak, or some quicksand spiritually and begin to think, everyone wants to fight and try to get their way out of it by themselves. And the reality is that it doesn't work very well. We all need the help of others around us. And, you know, if you don't ask for help, if someone doesn't go to a brother or sister in the Lord for spiritual strength when they're weak, if you get down to the point that all someone can do to get you out of the quicksand is grab your ear, they probably can't get you out. And if they do, it's going to really, really hurt. Um, <laughs> Amen. You have to be aware that, that we have very mighty weapons. You know, Ephesians 6 talks about the weapons. He gives a list there. We wouldn't take the time right now to go through all that list about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and all. But in 2 Corinthians 10, he says something really interesting about this war. He says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, just like he does in Ephesians. But then he says they're mighty in God 
for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And you see, Bruce, that's where this real battle occurs. It occurs in my mind, in my heart, in that inner person who's me. That's why I call it a war within us. Mm. It's not so much a battle against external forces, but it's a battle within me trying to bring into captivity my mind and every thought, everything about me, the obedience of Christ. So what what are some of those thoughts as contrasted with opinions? I mean, is that when he talks about this war going on in our mind, it's how we view things, our worldview, and 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 how Satan is able to trap us in what I would call stinking thinking. Yeah, it is stinking thinking for sure. When he tells us things, when we begin to believe things like that uh, we can get away with sin or that it won't hurt anyone but us, Mm. Uh, those are kinds of very dangerous things. When we find ourselves imagining and daydreaming and really in our hearts delighting in what God forbids, that's this draw, this pull into sin. Those are the thoughts that need to be brought into captivity to Christ. You know, in Romans 12, we read that we're to be transformed from the world instead of conformed to it. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That means changed. And he says you do that by renewing your mind. There's passage after passage in Scripture that talk about us having the mind of Christ, uh, putting off an old man and putting on the new man and being renewed in the spirit of our mind. What we have to do to fight these battles is realize that the things that we think, the war that we fight, the battle that we're a part of is in our minds, and thus we have to fight in our minds those thoughts that are ungodly. We have to fight the temptations that we have. We can't just say, well, you know, that's just the way I am. Because it may be the way we are, but it's wrong. And God tells us that his word will bring our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ, which we'll turn to them that way. Those verses that you're quoting, this very beautiful promise there um, that God's power is able to overcome these sin problems that we have, the, the supposed control that Satan has on us. Absolutely. You know, you talk about people being discouraged, and a lot of times when people come for for spiritual counsel of some kind, they are very discouraged, and they need help. They need hope, though, Amen. to give them the courage to go ahead and fight these battles. Uh, one of Satan's greatest tools is discouragement. And uh, with that in mind, I always like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, which is filled with such promise and such hope. You know, the very part of that verse says God is faithful. And if I believe that, if I really believe that, then I believe all the rest of the promises in that verse. And uh, let's look at that just right quick. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to me. And when you think about that, what a blessing it is for God to promise and to be faithful 
that he will not allow the devil to pick on you in some special, unique way. Amen. You know, often people feel like they alone are uniquely tempted or are uniquely challenged in some way. And the truth is you're not. These are common temptations. They're common demands. Anger at the unfairness of an employer. People have been dealing with that for years. Uh, hurt and sorrow over an unfaithful spouse or betrayal by friends. Christians have been dealing with those things for centuries very effectively by the strength that we gain from this faithful God. These are common problems to men. Your problems are not unique. The next thing he says in this is he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. God will limit these temptations that the devil brings into your life in very, very specific and real ways. One, it won't be so big you just can't handle it. You know, often we hear people argue that their temptations would be so great, what else were they to do? They'll mm. say, well, when that happens, you know, you can only imagine what else could I do. Right. The answer is what you could do is take your thoughts captive for Christ and do what Jesus would have you do in that situation. The second thing is they won't last so long. People often feel like, well, you know, I've put up with this for as long as I can take it. And God says he won't allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to bear. There is no getting out of it excuse. Christ will limit our temptation. The last thing he says in this passage is that he will provide a way of escape. And, um, you know, when I think about a way of escape, I think about a way out of something, a way to avoid something. But that's not what this passage says. It says he will, with the temptation, also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Not that you may be able to avoid it, not that you may be able to sidestep it and not have to face it, but rather that you'll be able to endure it. And when you take these passages, or these promises in this passage all together, I mean, he won't let Satan tempt you in a way that's uncommon to man. He won't let Satan tempt you in a bigger way than you can handle. He won't let it last longer than you can handle. But he will always provide a way for you to endure Michael, this is a very serious, serious discussion. As followers of Jesus Christ, we're all active participants in this spiritual warfare. Our souls are in the crossfire. So we need to stand and to stand firm, but just as importantly, we need to know how to stand. I want to just thank you so much for helping us find some of those answers in our discussion for this radio broadcast in our study segment. And one final thought that I would like for you to leave with our audience about this spiritual warfare. What is it that you would want that young man, that young woman listening right now, what would you have to say to them about spiritual warfare? What I would say is get in there and fight like your life is on. You know, you will be defeated sometimes by temptation. Everyone will. That's why John said that 
26, the blood of Christ wipes away all of our sins. We confess that he's faithful and just to forgive us. We will have sin. We're going to fail. But there's a big difference in defeat and surrender in a battle. And you're going to be defeated at times, but you can never, ever surrender. We want to thank Brother Michael McCorkle for his powerful message concerning how to fight the spiritual war in and around you. Thank you once again for that powerful message. And now we have the final segment of Name That Bible Character. Here was your clue. I am the Bible book that says every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. What book am I? Proverbs. That's right. Proverbs. Proverbs 24, 26. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth a right answer. I am the Bible book that says every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. What book am I? Proverbs and name that Bible character. Well, friend, you too can become a part of the greatest movement ever, follower of Jesus Christ. For in him you can find forgiveness, joy, happiness, peace, unity. And you can be blessed beyond measure more than you ever deserve. And my goal here has been very simple. That is, to encourage you, friend, along the way to help you find your passion in life in Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll come to him. I hope that you'll hear his voice. I hope that you'll hear his words. I hope that you will come to him with forgiveness, repentance, confession, and baptism. Well, if you ever come through Norman, Oklahoma, friend, I pray that you'll stop by and visit with us at the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ. But if you can't stop by physically, stop by our website online, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Well, friend, I want to tell you this. Thank you so much for listening. May God bless you. I am so happy now, you may be asking how, nothing would keep me down because my heart is safe and sound, oh how my Lord was true, even when life seemed dark and no one could take from me, the gift that set me free, Jesus has given me song because I'm looking to eternity. Once I was lost in sin, no one would take me in. I was beyond repair and oh, my life was in despair. Oh, how my Lord was true, my Lord was true. Even when life seemed, life seemed dark and no one could take from me. No one takes from me, that sets me free. Jesus has given me, given me His wonderful grace. Jesus died for so me. So I sing this song because I'm looking to eternity. Jesus has given, given me His wonderful grace. Jesus died for so me. So I sing this song because I'm looking to eternity.
I am so happy now. I'm so you may be asking how. Nothing will keep me down because my heart is safe and sound. Oh, how my Lord is true. My Lord is true. When my life seemed life seemed dark and no one can take from me. No one takes from me. Gift that sets me free.